Well, good morning, everybody. So glad you are gathered here online with us. We wish we could be together, but uh, we, we trust God's sovereign plan here and that this is his will for us today to, to gather in this way. And thank you again to um, the people who are making this happen behind the scenes. I know it's a blessing for all of us to be able to connect online. You know, the situation that we're in is, is teaching us a lot about what the church is and what the church is not. Many of us think about the church as a worship service or as a place to go. Um, we think of it as a building often. We talk about going to the church. But in reality, the church is not a building. The church is not a worship service you watch. The church is a group of people you're part of. The church specifically is the people of God. It's the family of God. Those who trust in Jesus and whom Jesus has purchased with his blood on the cross. And, and as his family, God tells us to meet together often to worship him and to encourage one another. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but let's encourage one another and all the more as you see the last day drawing near. And since we can't obviously gather face to face as a church right now, uh, we're gathering online for a little while. Last Sunday, I was, I was really encouraged to hear after the service how many of you were encouraged by our worship time together. We, you know, we're, we're one of many local churches right now live streaming our services. And it's kind of cool because uh, we're kind of all in this together alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ in other churches. I love what one person wrote on Facebook last Sunday. Watching all these live streams in churches large and small, in living rooms and sanctuaries, investments, suits, or jeans is strangely, strangely emotional. I'm so proud to count these people as brothers and sisters in Christ. The church is the church, whether gathered or scattered. You know, God, God really does work in mysterious ways. I mean, who would have ever guessed that because of a flu virus, millions of believers around the world would be forced together uh, to, to gather online at the same time for church services and that by doing so, they would flood the internet with a giant wave uh, of preaching about the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. God is using his people to display his goodness and his glory to the watching world in a very unique way right now. And you know, about 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in a town called Ephesus. And he wrote this letter to encourage them that God was displaying his goodness and his glory through them also. And so we wanna read uh, part of that today. If you've got your Bible with you, please turn with me to Ephesians 1, verse 15. Ephesians is gonna be about 90% of the way through your Bible. It's a small little book. Before we read this, let's ask the Lord to continue to help us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this opportunity to gather, to worship you, to be built up in our faith through your Holy Spirit and with your word. 
We ask, God, that you would turn the lights on for us in our hearts, that this word would be uh, catalyzed by the power of your spirit to help us see, help us see the glory of God. And we just need your help. We ask that you would transform us through your word now and encourage our souls. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Ephesians 1, I'm gonna read verses 15 through 23. And I'm reading in the English Standard Version. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he puts all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Well, many of you know that over the past few months, we've been studying Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 14. And you might remember that those verses form one long sentence in the original Greek. What I didn't realize until this week is that verses 15 to 23 form another long sentence in Greek also. So for whatever reason, God led Paul to write some really long-winded sentences here. So today we're gonna focus on verses 15 to 17, and our plan is next Sunday to focus on verses 18 to 23. And as we begin to look at verses 15 to 17 today, it's going to help us to remember who the original audience of this letter was. Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in and around the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus was a large city. It was a big city on the Mediterranean coast in modern-day Turkey. Ephesus was a city that was drenched in dark magic, dark spiritual practices, a lot of demonic activity. Ephesus was a melting pot of many different types of sorcery and witchcraft and idol worship. In fact, many of the Ephesian Christians to whom Paul was writing used to be sorcerers and witches and idol worshipers. And so these Ephesian Christians were now living in this tension of trying to follow Jesus while still living in the same dark spiritual environment. Maybe some of you, some of you can relate to that a bit. Well, about a decade before Paul wrote this letter to them, he had lived among them in Ephesus for about three years. Paul became the beloved pastor of the Ephesian Christians. He had lived among them, he, he discipled them, he taught them how to follow Jesus, 
And he raised up elders and he trained the elders how to shepherd the flock, how to care for the church when he would depart. And when that time came for Paul to leave Ephesus after three years, Acts 20 says that the Ephesian elders were so sad to see him go that they wept with him and they embraced him and they kissed him. These Ephesians loved Paul. Well, now, 10 years later, Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians while he, was in a Ro- while he was in Rome under arrest for his faith in Jesus. So someone took this letter from Paul that he wrote to the Ephesians, and someone carried this letter thousands of miles from Rome, which was in the west, all the way to Ephesus in the eastern part of the Mediterranean. And so the Ephesian Christians would have been thrilled to receive this letter from Paul, having not heard from him in possibly 10 years. Now, in the letter, in the first 14 verses, Paul goes into great detail, describing to them the amazing things, uh, the amazing truths of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus, essentially. Paul, Paul describes what God did in Christ to rescue sinners from sin and from Satan and from hell. He talks about what Jesus did to give us eternal life. And he reminded the Ephesian Christians in these verses how God had changed who they were because of all this. He changed their core identities. They were no longer enemies of God, but adopted and beloved sons, of da- sons and daughters of God in Jesus Christ. And so now in verses 15 to 23, Paul prays, essentially. He prays that the Holy Spirit will help the Ephesian Christians to comprehend all of this, to comprehend what God has done for them. He he prays that the Spirit will empower them to continue to believe these amazing truths of the gospel and then that they would so believe these truths that they're able to rest their hearts and souls in who they are in Christ now and in the finished work of Christ. And in verses 15 to 16 here, Paul writes this, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul begins verse 15 with the phrase, for this reason. And what he's doing is he's pointing back to what he just said in verses 13 to 14. And in those verses, Paul just described how God seals Christians with the Holy Spirit at the moment that they first respond to the gospel by trusting in Jesus. And so Paul says that the Holy Spirit who has sealed them and who now indwells them is the guarantee of their salvation. And so Paul is now affirming that reality and he is now describing some of the evident ways that the Holy Spirit has sealed them, that the Holy Spirit is working through them. And he says that even though he he lives thousands of miles away from them, he's arrested in Rome, he has heard of their faith in the Lord. And he's heard of their love toward all the saints. And saints is another word for Christians. So if, if this was the only description we had of what it means to follow Jesus, It would be a pretty good description. Faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints. Let's talk about each one of those. First of all, 
Paul celebrates their faith in the Lord Jesus. So Paul is celebrating uh, like a spiritual father that even 10 years after he left them, the Ephesian Christians are still trusting in the Lord. They, th- th- those weren't fake or flippant conversions 10 years ago. When, when Paul preached the gospel to the Ephesians, he was not casting the seed of the gospel onto rocky soil where it would not take root. He's celebrating that by God's grace, when he preached, in, uh, preached the good news of the gospel in that dark and demonic city 10 years ago, when he preached the, the word that, that God loves and saves sinners through the life and death and resurrection of his son, God really did grant saving faith to many of the Ephesians when they believed in the gospel. They believed They turned away from their sinful practices. They put their trust in Jesus. What a great thing to celebrate. Kent Hughes makes a helpful point. He writes, Paul is, of course, praising God for the Ephesians' saving faith here, but Paul is also giving thanks for the Ephesians' practical faith. The Ephesian Christian, uh, Christians not only rested their salvation on Christ, but also they rested their everyday life on Christ. The Ephesians believed Christ would take care of them through thick and thin. Following Jesus doesn't mean turning away from sin once and turning to Jesus once. Following Jesus means turning away from sin over and over again every day and trusting in Jesus over and over again every day. That doesn't mean you need to keep asking Jesus into your heart and to save you. What it means is that you keep trusting that Jesus is Lord, and you keep trusting that his grace is sufficient for you. Trusting Jesus means not only trusting him to bring you to heaven someday, but also it means trusting every promise that he has spoken in his word the Bible. It means trusting him, believing him, taking comfort in him when he says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Praise God. And so Paul celebrated that the Ephesian Christians They were still full of faith in the Lord Jesus. And so an application here for us who believe is to keep trusting Jesus and to keep trusting his promises. Keep reading his word. Keep reading his promises in scripture. Keep celebrating that his promises belong to you because you belong to him. And in times like these, when some of us are feeling anxious and fearful uh, because of the coronavirus and because of everything else that's happening because of it, we as a church family, we need to encourage one another to keep trust in Jesus. We need to remind each other about the great things that God has done in our own lives and throughout scripture And throughout the history of the world, we've got to remind one another that that God is not only worthy of our praise, but God is worthy of our trust. He really is. 
Paul was so thankful that God had sustained the faith of these Ephesian Christians. And, and likewise, we too, we praise the Holy Spirit for doing the same thing in us, if we believe, for, for sealing us, for indwelling us, living inside of us, and for sustaining our faith in Jesus. Thank you, God, for doing that for us. Second, in addition to celebrating the Ephesians' faith in the Lord Jesus, Paul also celebrates their love toward all the saints. He celebrates their love toward all the saints. Jesus, you know, tells us to love everyone, even our enemies. But over and over again, God tells us that we Christians ought especially to love one another. At his last supper, Jesus told his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus says that the way that the watching world will know that we are truly Jesus' disciples is by the way that we Christians love each other. And also, Jesus said that we Christians ought to love each other the same way that he has loved us. So how has Jesus loved us? Well, we love one another by laying down our lives for one another. We love each other by considering one another more significant than ourselves. We love each other by building each other up in the faith. We love each other by encouraging one another with our words. We love one another by giving what we have in order to help one another. And it's important to note that Paul celebrates the way that the Ephesian Christians love all the saints. That word all is important because it means that he, they don't just love some of the saints that they choose to love, they love all the saints. Uh, like most of our local churches, the Ephesian church was, was a hodgepodge of people uh, from all walks of life. And had they not shared a common faith in Jesus, many of them would probably never ever even associate or be friends. Some of the Ephesian Christians were men. Some of them were women. Some of them were Jews. Many of them were Gentiles. Some of them were craftsmen. Some of them were slaves. Some of them were former temple prostitutes. And some of them were former witches and sorcerers but by trusting in the same Lord, Jesus, they were all sealed with the same Holy Spirit and they were all adopted into the same family of God. And the Spirit put into their hearts the same love for one another. It's amazing. And we ask that God does that for us too. It's been so encouraging to me to hear about some of the ways that you in our church family have been loving one another during this time in the past few weeks. I, I heard from several of you this week who were so encouraged that someone else in our church reached out to you this week to see how you're hanging in there in all of this craziness. I was encouraged to hear how some of you who are more technologically inclined uh, reach out to those who, who aren't as technologically inclined to help them get online so that they can be part of this fellowship time on Facebook. I was encouraged that some of you work together this week to gather food items and deliver them to the senior center 
in town. I was encouraged that some of you kids wrote letters and drew pictures to some of our older saints and mailed them to them. And, and I've been encouraged also to hear about what other churches are doing to love one another. I, I read on Facebook about a, a Baptist church in Georgia that's reaching out to pastors of really small churches and offering to help them financially if their church encounters severe financial hardship during this time. I just thought that is so cool. God wants us to love one another the same way that he's loved us. Love is not a definition we make up. It's, love is, is God. We look at how God loves. He defines love. And that shows us what love is. And, you know, Jesus sought the good of all of us even when it cost him much. That is love. Jesus left his comfort zone of heaven in order to enter our mess to help us. That is love. Jesus welcomed us into his family even though we're all different. And so may we seek to love one another the same way that Jesus has loved us. And may we seek to love all the saints, near and far. Now, in light of the Ephesians' faith in Jesus and their love for all the saints, Paul goes on to say in verse 16 that he never stops giving thanks for them. And he constantly remembers them in his prayers. So, so just as the Ephesian Christians are a good example for us of, of what faith in the Lord and, and love for one another looks like, so also Paul here is a, is a great example for us of thankfulness for one another and prayer for one another and what that looks like. I was thinking this week, do you, do you ever stop, just stop and tell God, thank you, Lord, for my church family. Thank you for providing a local church for me to be part of. Thank you for all the people in our church who, who, who love you and who wanna worship you with their lives. Thank you for the Christians that you put into my life who are an encouragement to me and who point me to Jesus and to his grace. Thank you, Lord, for the, the wise Christians who have mentored me in my faith. And Lord, Thank you for letting me, me, be a part of this. Thank you for calling me into this. I'm so humbled that I get to be a part of the family of God. I get to be a member of the local church. Not because of my knowledge, not because of my charisma, not because I got a lot of friends, not because I'm really good, but simply because of your grace, God, and because you are good. Thank you that I get to live my life among the redeemed people of Jesus Christ. May God give us hearts of thankfulness like that. And also, do you ever tell your brothers and sisters in Christ that you're thankful for them? I encourage you to do that. We, we need to let each other know that we love each other and that we're thankful for each other. We need to build each other up in love and in, and in faith. Because what that does is it encourages us as individual Christians, and consequently, as each of us as individuals are built up in the faith, we are built up together into a stronger family together in love. And like Paul did, let's remember to pray for one another. 
That's what he says he does. He remembers them constantly in his prayers. Paul was uh, an extremely busy man. Even when he was in prison, he was writing letters, he was witnessing to the guards, he was preaching the gospel to people who would come visit him. And yet Paul writes in his letters that he spent a lot of time praying for Christians. Paul didn't pray for his brothers and sisters in Christ because prayer was a break from ministry. For Paul, prayer was ministry. It, It was an important way that he could very practically serve his brothers and sisters in the Lord. So if you really want to help one another, if if you really want to serve one another, if we really want to love one another, then let's pray for one another. (laughs) Because that's that's the first and best thing we can do for each other. It's, It's not the only thing we can do to love and serve one another, but it's one of the best things we can do. Because God has chosen to do much good work and to pour out much of his grace to people in response to the prayers of Christians. God has ordained that to happen. He's ordained prayer as a powerful means through which he works. The book of James says that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. So they're full of power and they are effective. They make an effect, okay? And, you know, we have seen God answer our prayers for one another in our church in a myriad of ways. I was just thinking about a few of these ways. I know that the reason why Mike Funderburk was healed, why Rick Doty was healed, why Bill Porter was healed, the, the reason why Kim Kaler was baptized, the reason why Jackie Martin was baptized, the reason why Philip Torzeski was baptized, the reason that children's anger issues have been miraculously resolved, the reason marriages have been saved, the reason depressed Christians are persevering in the faith one day at a time is because God has answered our prayers for them. Now, it doesn't mean that God needs us to pray in order to work. We're not holding back God and he's at our mercy. No, instead, God graciously invites us to be part of unleashing his power through prayer. What a privilege. And also, this doesn't mean that God always answers our prayers the way that we want him to. Because many times he doesn't. And it's probably because he's perfectly wise and we are not. And he sees the end of the story from the beginning and, and we don't. But that doesn't mean that our prayers are ever wasted. Praying with a heart submitted to God's will is always right and is always glorifying to God, even if what we're asking God to do doesn't turn out to be part of his plan. So let's pray for one another because, you know, we all need help. We all need more grace. We all need God's power uh, and more of it in our lives. And the great thing about prayer is that, you know, you can do it wherever, whenever. when you're driving, when you're baking, when you're cleaning, when you're mowing, when you're eating, when you're resting, when you're reading the Bible, whenever we can pray and we can pray for one another. And now in verse 17, Paul begins to describe this prayer. He describes what he is praying for specifically for the Ephesian Christians and subsequently for all of us. He, he's 
he says that he's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now notice that, that Paul's prayer here is explicitly Trinitarian. What that means is that Paul affirms what all of scripture refer, uh, affirms about who God is. That, that God is one God in three persons and that he eternally exists as God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and here Paul describes how each person in the Trinity plays a role in fulfilling his prayers. And it, it appears that he's mainly addressing God the Father, who he calls here the Father of glory, which we could preach a whole sermon on, but we're not going to today. And uh, he also refers to him as the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, by referring to God the Father as the Father of glory, Paul is reminding us who we are calling upon when we pray, who we're talking to. We're, we're, we're talking to the holy, the one and only, the creator God of the universe, who is infinitely and incomparably beautiful and glorious and good. So who are we to call upon this holy God? Well, this is where Jesus Christ, the Son, comes in. That's why Paul mentions him. Jesus took away our sin, our filth on the cross, and he gave to us the righteousness of God so that we can come to the Father confidently, so that we can be accepted by the Father. And now God the Father gladly beckons us to come near to him in Christ. If you want to come near to God, you must believe the gospel and trust in Jesus and come to God in Jesus' name. And so, as one who is united to Christ through faith, Paul is praying this prayer and he asks God to give the Ephesians the Spirit, capital S, referring to the Holy Spirit, of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, that is kind of an odd thing to pray for since Paul just wrote that the Holy Spirit has already been given to the Ephesian Christians. He's already sealed the Ephesian Christians. So, what exactly is Paul asking God to do here? Well, he's not asking God to give them the Holy Spirit again because they lost the Holy Spirit. It's the whole point of the sealing. They don't lose the spirit. He's the guarantee. He's with them until uh, their future glory when they meet Jesus face to face. What Paul is doing here is he's asking God the Father to have God the Holy Spirit work in a special way in the minds and hearts of Christians. You know, just as we need, we, we have to have the Holy Spirit to make us born again so that for the first time we can see the truth of the gospel and so that we can see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Well, so also we need the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to help us to continue to see the truth of the gospel and to continue to see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Paul asks that the Spirit would manifest his power in the Ephesian Christians by giving them the Spirit's supernatural divine wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Those are kind of big words. So let's take, let's just talk about each, each one of those 
one at a time. Wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of God. First, Paul prays that God would give Christians the spirit of wisdom. God, the Holy Spirit, can give us supernatural wisdom about things. He can help us to live our lives wisely. So what exactly does that mean? Well, it's helpful to distinguish between the word wisdom and the word knowledge. Knowledge is knowing about something. Knowledge is knowing facts. But wisdom is knowing how to apply that knowledge in a helpful way. Wisdom is knowing how to apply knowledge in a helpful and right way. Um, Think about it this way, gotquestions.org says, knowledge is knowing how to use a gun. Wisdom is knowing when to use it and when to keep it holstered. And likewise, a lot of people know a lot about the Bible. They have a lot of knowledge about the Bible. They know the facts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Yeah, I've heard that. They know that Christians are supposed to love and forgive one another. They, uh, they know all sorts of things in the Bible. But all of that knowledge does you no good if you don't know how to apply that knowledge rightly. And so the spirit of wisdom empowers us to put to wise use what we know. And the Spirit helps us to remember that that our days are numbered. Psalm uh, 90 says, Lord, teach us to number our days aright so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. When we realize we don't know how long we have here, it helps us to not take this time for granted and to live each life for the glory of God. The Spirit of wisdom shows us which hills are worth dying on and which hills are not worth dying on. The spirit of wisdom shows us how to love each other and how to forgive one another. The spirit of wisdom teaches us how to love and how to interact with people who don't like Christians and who don't like Jesus. That takes supernatural wisdom. The the spirit of wisdom helps us to take what we read in God's word and to apply it to our lives. And so with Paul, we, we ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, please give me, please give us fresh anointings of your wisdom, both for our joy and for your glory. Give us wisdom, Lord, please. That is a constant prayer in our elder meetings and a constant prayer in, in my life. And second, Paul prays that God would give Christians the spirit of revelation, spirit of revelation. Revelation, this word refers to God revealing truth to us. God revealing truth to us. I agree with R.C. Sproul who writes that Paul is not saying here that Christians can expect to receive new revelations from God and so become contemporary apostles. No, he is saying that the Spirit works in Christians to help them understand the revelation, the Bible that God has already given to us. Have you ever sat down and read a page of the Bible or a passage of the Bible and not really gotten anything edifying out of it? Have you ever sat down, read a page of the Bible and said, man, I have no idea what this is about. I have no idea what I just read. I have no idea what God's telling me through this. Or have you ever read a page of the Bible and just, just kind of 
walked away feeling bad about yourself. And because, okay, I see God is really holy and I'm really bad and I see how great his commands are and yep, I'm really bad at keeping his commands. If you've ever done that, then join the club because this is exactly why we need God's spirit of revelation to help us. Reading God's word without the power of God, the Holy Spirit helping us, it is like reading in the dark. I don't know if you ever tried to do that, reading without light. (laughs) It's just really hard to do, and it's frustrating, and it's not life-giving. And so what we ask the Spirit to do is to turn on the lights for us. We ask him to turn on the lights inside our heart and our soul. And in theological terms, this is called illumination. Illumination. And Tony Merida writes that Illumination is the simple idea that God opens our eyes to know him and his truth. God turns on the lights and he opens our eyes so that we can see the truth and know it it and know him. I'm trying to uh, read the Bible again this year like I did last year chronologically and I gotta be honest with you, a while back when I hit the second half of the second book of the Bible, Exodus, I just hit the wall and I told, I didn't physically hit the wall, but I hit a wall mentally. I, uh, I told Cindy, man, I feel so bad because honestly, when I get up in the morning, I'm just not thrilled to open my Bible and read about every specific measurement of every piece of furniture for the tabernacle. And what I needed was for God to illuminate those passages for me. I needed God's help. And you know what? I am so thankful he did. And this strange transformation happened to me within a couple of days. And I actually began to be excited to read these descriptions of the tabernacle and all of its furnishings. And this is why God helped me to see how all of those things point me to God, to his holiness, and to my need for Jesus. God helped me to see how Jesus is for me the better bread. He is the bread of life. Jesus is the better lampstand who lights my path and who shows me the way in the darkness. Jesus is the better altar who makes atonement for my sins through his bloodshed. Jesus is the better water basin who washes away my filth and impurities. Jesus is the better anointing oil who anoints me with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the better incense, who now makes my pursuit of holiness and my prayers a pleasing aroma to God because I'm united to Christ through faith. I thank the Holy Spirit for helping me see these things that were there all along, but I would never see them unless God stepped in and his spirit helped me to see them. And Illumination is, is not only what Christians need the Holy Spirit to do for them when they're reading God's word. Illumination is also what non-Christians need the Spirit to do for them so that they can believe the gospel and see Jesus as glorious. I don't know if you've ever talked to a non-Christian for hours about the gospel of Jesus. And you know, you've given them the best apologetic reasons you can think of for why they should trust in Jesus and the reliability of scripture. And 
You told them your, your powerful personal testimony of how you came to Christ and how God has proven himself faithful to you over and over again. And after doing all of that, you look into their eyes and they just don't see it. They did not see the glory of God in Jesus Christ or the truth of the gospel. And that's because God hasn't turned on the lights for them yet. Charles Spurgeon said that apart from the Holy Spirit, it is easier to teach a tiger vegetarianism than an unregenerate person the gospel. And that's funny, but it's true. And it applies to believers also. Whether we are believers or non-believers, all of us are helpless to see Jesus as glorious. All of us are helpless to trust in the Lord without the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we humbly pray, Lord, please show me your glory. Show me your glory, Lord. And finally, the third thing Paul prays for the Ephesians here is that the spirit of wisdom and of revelation would be in the knowledge of him or in the knowledge of God. Knowledge here doesn't just mean knowing about God. It means knowing God personally. You can know all about God. That doesn't mean you know God. Did you know that the core of our salvation in Christ, the, 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 the core of eternal life is knowing God personally. The best result of the gospel isn't that you won't be in hell or that you'll be in heaven when you die. Those are awesome things we are so thankful for, but they're still not the best things. The best result of the gospel is that through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, you know God personally and you're at peace with him. In Jesus' prayer for us Christians at the Last Supper, he prayed to God the Father for us. And he prayed, this is eternal life. This is eternal life. That they know you. The only true God. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, knowing God is what eternal life is. And so those who trust in Jesus don't have to wait until heaven to receive eternal life because once God makes us born again here on earth through faith in the gospel, we know God immediately. We're at peace with God. We have a personal relationship with God through Christ now. D.A. Carson writes, what is the greatest need in the church today? The one thing we need in Western Christendom is a deeper knowledge of God. We need to know God better. So Christian, I hope that it's an encouragement to you today that because you are in Christ through faith, you know God and that he wants you to know him better. He wants you to be real with him. He wants you to talk to him about everything. He wants you to give him all of your burdens. He wants you to trust him with your anxieties. He wants to purge sin from your life. He wants to make you more holy and more joyful in him. So talk to God through prayer. Come confidently to the Father who beckons you, who loves you in Christ. Listen to him through his word 
and through the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And celebrate, celebrate that because of Jesus, you're at peace with God. You know him, you have a personal friendship with the Lord of the universe, your maker. And if you've watched us this far this morning and you don't have a friendship with God, if, if you aren't at peace with God and you know that, if you haven't trusted in Jesus to save you, then I pray that the Holy Spirit would cause you to have a change of mind about Jesus. That the Spirit would cause you to trust in the Lord, to believe in him, to know him as your savior and king. I pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the eyes of your heart to see the incomparable beauty and majesty and worth of the Lord God, Jesus Christ, who loves you and who died to save all who trust in him. And if you're trusting in Jesus for the first time today, please let us know. As your first step of worship and obedience to God, we invite you with Jesus to be baptized. And even during the coronavirus, I will baptize you, even if I have to wear an astronaut suit while I do it. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Not because baptism saves you, but because baptism is a celebration that Jesus has saved you. So in summary, let's celebrate that God sustains our faith in Jesus. Let's love one another in the body of Christ through our prayers and through kind and encouraging words and through acts of service. Let's thank God for one another. Let's tell each other that we're thankful for each other. Let's pray for one another because we all need God's help. And let's ask that God would give all of us the wisdom of his spirit and the revelation of his spirit and a deeper personal knowledge of himself. So glad you joined us here today and I pray that you'll join us Tuesday night at 6.30 and uh, for our discussion about anxiety during these times and how our hope is in Jesus and I hope we'll see you next week at the same time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word which you've appointed to encourage us and to strengthen us today. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate your words for us, that they might not just be words, but they would, they would be beautiful, that they would be great news to us, that we would see how they point to you and to your grace and to our need for Jesus. Lord, in these times, we all need much help and much grace, and the answers, it is clearer than ever, are not in this world. The answers are not in our alcohol bottles. The answers are not in our drugs. The answers are not in our fretting and worrying. The answers is, are not in our government and our political leaders or our human organization. God, the answer ultimately is you. And so regardless of what our circumstances are, we we can celebrate that we know you, that we're at peace with you now in Jesus Christ and whatever the future holds, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We pray this for your glory and for our joy. Amen.